you've entered the gray area, the intersection of culture and technology. I'm your host, Angela Benton. Okay, so we're back <laughs> after a mini hiatus. Um, the last few weeks have been crazy, especially with the very tragic um, accident with Kobe and we were set to actually record we were on a good schedule with the gray area and then that happened and it was just like so tragic um and so now we're gonna be back on a good schedule again and so today I have Alicia Stewart Alicia Stewart and um how I know Alicia actually is from a long time ago so I have to keep reminding myself that it's almost 10 years. I know. So I know Alicia from um, Black in America. She was a part of the crew um, for that. If you guys, I know there's a lot of new people that are either following me or familiar with my work, but almost 10 years ago, 2011, mm -hmm. there was mm -hmm. a huge documentary mm -hmm. called Black in America with um, Soledad O'Brien. And this was when she was at CNN. Mm -hmm. And it literally was the catalyst for mm -hmm. every single conversation around diversity in mm -hmm. tech mm -hmm. um, that is happening right now. And so that's how I know you, right? which right. is like, I can't believe it's like been so long. And so you, we reconnected. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, you guys know I'm in LA now, but mm -hmm. we reconnected um, mm -hmm. now that you're in LA. Mm -hmm. And so let us know what you've been up to. Sure, sure. So yeah, that back then, Jason Samuels really kind of like found the story of new me and what yes. you were doing. Shout out to Jason out in too. Bay Area. Hi, Jason. <laughs> and um, so I wasn't as involved in the field work of doing that documentary, but doing a lot of the online and really seeing on social how that kind of blew up the conversation and really started a lot of the broader national conversation, in some cases, global conversation around uh, diversity and inclusion in 1, Silicon Valley global. and I mean I remember yeah. specifically at the event um, there us being a trending topic um, just from the clips we hadn't even showed the whole documentary well, yet it with was Michael trending, Arrington yes. yes it was trending mm -hmm. globally but also I was shocked because I was getting emails from people in the Philippines mm -hmm. in Africa mm -hmm. in Asia mm -hmm. and so I was I was shocked at the reach How, yeah mm -hmm. the reach it was crazy mm -hmm. yeah so since then um i um had the good fortune to work on some great projects within america and at cnn for some time and um went and did a fancy fellowship and went back to school and was really kind of like thinking about all the ways in which uh journalism and storytelling and what i uniquely did in that space mm -hmm. could be more additive in a wider way and so you know came out really conscious of just this unique unique opportunity I'd had to be an entrepreneur in a lot of the big, you know, media companies from CNN to NBC to PBS and had the opportunity to think about how, you know, the disruption in storytelling really was the storytellers. Yeah. And I kind of kept coming back to that from both in my experiences as well as in what I was studying when I was um, at Harvard and MIT on this Neiman Fellowship, mm -hmm. really looking at this kind of intersection of leadership, um, identity and spirituality and looking at various models and what worked and what didn't and thinking about the demographic changes that are coming to the U.S. specifically, but then more globally really recognizing as I was traveling all around, that was already the reality, but right. the narratives were just changed and the narratives were going to continue to be changing because the technology that allowed that disruptive. And right. so I saw those as kind of twin issues 
Um, but there was so much focus on the kind of like platform and tech part, but not, I felt like, as much focus on the actual storyteller part. And that's right. what I had always been interested, I think, working in journalism and documentaries for so long. And so that turned into, you know, really doing a lot of speaking around that in a lot of social entrepreneurship and academic spaces, mm-hmm. um, as well as coaching and consulting um, as it related to innovation um, within companies and the ways to do it uh, inclusively and organically. Right. And so um, one of the things that I want to talk about, actually, this is this is the, the topic of this podcast and and this episode is really kind of linked to a lot of what you have been talking about for the past several years mm-hmm. and um Nolan I don't I'm sorry Tyler I don't know if you want to bring up the article I had sent over so uh, Clearview AI Clearview mm-hmm. AI for you guys that are not familiar with uh, with Clearview so they are a facial recognition company and I would say probably over the past maybe two weeks, they've been getting a lot of press, a lot of headlines, primarily because what their AI does is they basically search and gather every single picture that you've ever posted on any platform mm-hmm. ever. And, and it he goes, promises a 99% accuracy rate. And more he, than and he promises a 99. <laughs> yes, he has the audacity to promise a 99% mm-hmm. um, accuracy rate. Mm-hmm. Although, um, in an article I did see on Engadget, mm-hmm. he did mention that, um, and he didn't say how accurate this piece was, but that it, it was not accurate for mm-hmm. people of color, mm. which that's what's been happening exactly. with facial recognition, which is why there's the outcry, obviously. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of legislature mm-hmm. have been reaching out to him. He's saying that they're doing everything completely legally. He um, and by when I say he, let me reference his mm-hmm. name. So this is the wonton wonton. Is the CEO, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of video actually mm-hmm. um, of him, pretty much everywhere explaining the technology and actually demoing the technology. Um, he is basically saying that it's completely legal for them to do, despite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is well, as dis- of now, as mm-hmm. of now. But mm-hmm. despite Facebook mm-hmm. sending him a cease and desist, mm-hmm. despite Google sending him a cease mm-hmm. and desist, he's gotten cease and desist from all of basically the major tech companies that mm-hmm. are hosting all of you guys. YouTube has sent him um, a cease and desist, Facebook, Venmo. Um, and then he actually, um, where's this piece of this article? There was a New York Times investigation there was too a- that talked about it being the kind of, a uh, company that you haven't heard of but need to know about. Yes, right? because mm-hmm. so basically he's selling all of this yes, data to, to law enforcement. Exactly. And so um, it says the company has acquired its 3 billion image database. Mm-hmm. And that it, it, even if you feel like you don't have images mm-hmm. that are of you online, you can be on some CC like Someone posts somebody. Mm -hmm. Somebody post. It doesn't Mm -hmm. even have to be Mm -hmm. you. You it could be a friend, Mm -hmm. a sister, whomever. Mm -hmm. There are images of you Mm -hmm. online that are basically in the system Mm -hmm. without anyone knowing. And Mm -hmm. so that is the big 
um, hoopla about all of this. And obviously there's, there's a lot of implications for this. Huge. Like for just how we live our everyday lives, it violates mm-hmm. our privacy in a lot of respects. He says that it's legal under the first amendment. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, is it really legal or is it not? Mm-hmm. And then also, especially for people of color, like, first of all, we're already targeted mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And now we have a database that's wh- inaccurate. That's inaccurate. Color for people of color specifically. Right. Because of the way it's trained. Exactly. Off Artificial top. intelligence is trained. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So off top, it's inaccurate. Um, and it's also in the possession of people, law enforcement, who can basically search there were some in some instances where law enforcement were like searching ex-girlfriends and people that they want to date and so you mean like for personal use for personal mm-hmm. use yeah mm-hmm. so um it's really really tricky and mm-hmm. scary but mm-hmm. something that we all need to be aware about and Alicia, you had a great point mm-hmm. um, when we were talking I about have this so earlier. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So you had a great, you had a great point, but uh, I would love for you to to talk about the point that you were sure. So I mean, I think there were when I had been kind of reading about the story, there were immediately like three thoughts that come to mind. Mm-hmm. One is. It's not new in the sense that there's always been tools to track us. Yeah. What is new is the kind of brazen way he's using it to like make a lot of money and then it not being completely accurate for the people who are most maligned and marginalized as a result of who's using it. Right. Um, And so so. And then in thinking about that context, the second point I really was thinking about is, you know, I worked on a documentary called African-American Lives many Mm -hmm. moons ago. And um, at the time I was working um, on a period of time that was when photography was fairly new. So Mm -hmm. daguerreotypes were the first kind of publicly available um, ways in which those images were taken. And at that time there was and you can still see this on harvard's website and their peabody archives um there were these rare portraits of africans who had become enslaved in the u.s that was done by a biologist Mm. um to basically prove the inhumanity of of (laughs) black black people people, right africans um who had come to basically you know justify that And, and this is stated this is documented this is not like someone guessing at his intentions right um and so you know we have this long history in America and obviously writ large within the global population of this visual literacy that has been used to both um, be be used, right, to tell a story about people that is not always accurate and it's mm-hmm. not always done by them, mm-hmm. right? And so I feel like this is the kind of modern day extension of that. Yeah. And the other thing you have to think about, I couldn't help but think about in that same context, right, you had this biology trying to use images to show the inhumanity of one, of, of black people in America, right, mm-hmm. of Africans in America. And then you look for, fast forward to the, you know, um, in, in that same century, you had the most photographed man of that time being Frederick Douglass, also a former slave, who used that to his advantage. Now, I mean, to hear that, it's one thing to hear the most photographed man in the 19th century. Now, think about that. That's more than Abraham Lincoln. Right. right? Right. Who everybody knows, right? And so he was very conscious of using, and there was a book, um, you know, just a few years ago that came out speaking very specifically about how he used his image and was conscious of what that 
told him, uh, you know, told people, the public about him, mm. himself and black people writ large. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and then, you know, you can forward to the next century to see how uh, the civil rights movement used the medium, right, became the message, right, mm. in terms of the activism. So we have this longer history of a visual narrative, of yeah. a visual literacy that has been used in both ways. And so I feel like this is an extension of that. And the reason why people are so upset understandably now is because even if it is a tool which is you know the kind of counterpoint um, of various enforcement agencies the way that uh, you know a arm of the state is used to kind of like um, specifically target citizens that have the same freedoms that are right. guaranteed in our constitution all right in our bill of rights um, um, I think as an American I think that's definitely something we should be concerned about and should be asking questions about and mm-hmm. investigating and like I said there's been some great journalism I've already mentioned the New York Times um, you've mentioned a few um, that have looked deeper into that and it's only going to be increasingly important that we kind of think about what those right. implications are here here's another kind of quick and last and final point that i thought about you know when i you know my background is within the kind of journalism documentary you know storytelling spaces mm-hmm. and so when we were trained you know as a young pup um, <laughs> way back in the day you know the thing i was always conscious of is like you know, nobody knows what it's like to like be on TV until they're on TV and like know that the impact of having people recognize you, even if you're not necessarily famous. Right. Um, But um, and so there was like a heightened responsibility, whether specifically with a visual medium like television, which I've primarily worked in, or when you were writing about someone, right, if you they were in the blotter, the criminal blotter of what that would do. So there's always been... um, public information that we've had access to specifically Mm. you know as journalists but I think that there's a there's a training and a responsibility of what to do with that and so I think the concern with a company that is obviously benefiting and making good money off of that Mm -hmm. um, and says they're taking that you know says they're taking those responsibilities obviously their kind of number one priority is to keep the business in business right so um i think that that's why this is kind of blown up and there's been a lot of conversation and interest in in this particular company which becomes symbolic of others because you know as we've discussed there have been ceos that have had similar technology and have not sold it right um to law enforcement and so you know whether or not you agree with that people have made different choices and um and I think it's also kind of symbolic of people's concern about um, their private information being public for people, who mostly, you know, benefits, um, benefiting businesses who don't have their best interest in mind. Right. Um, not because they're not concerned about them, but they're more concerned about their bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the idea that there should be a level of responsibility mm-hmm. um it's lost on me that that is not that that's just not an innate thing to do why is that lost a, on you you've been in entrepreneurship for a I, while and- <laughs> i know it's just i don't i i know that he and probably you know his financial backers mm-hmm. they understand the implications of um what impact that this can have like obviously they're in it to make money mm-hmm. but like also at at some point it's like there should just I just feel like as a human there should be like a level of responsibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so p- 
part of what was going into this article was it was actually talking about the images of it's very sticky because the images of minors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ma- like I don't tag my kids mm-hmm. in anything mm-hmm. anymore because I noticed weirdos on social media started following my children oh no yeah so I don't tag them on mm-hmm. anything I actually removed um mo- I have like one picture of them mm-hmm. on my page mm-hmm. I'll mainly post to stories mm-hmm. but what's funny is if you post it once right. it's in this database right. already Even if you were public initially and yeah. then moved to a private yes it's out there yes Mm -hmm. and so um that's just weird that like no one is like okay even even when it comes to children Mm -hmm. right like we need to be more responsible Mm -hmm. about who has access to this tool or you know how deep we're going Mm -hmm. in terms of scraping all of this stuff like all of this is driven by you know machine learning so Mm -hmm. there should be some kind of way to identify the age basically of um the people that are in the database and removing people who skew towards you know under 18 Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. but that's not being done so i know there's things that that can be done technically Mm -hmm. um that they're just choosing not to do mm -hmm. and even one of the backers and in the engadget um article one of the backers says that unsurprisingly clearview's financial backers remain unconcerned about the system's potential for abuse i've come to the conclusion that because information constantly increases there's never going to be privacy david scalzo founder of kierninga partners Mm -hmm. and an early clearview investor told the new york times Mm -hmm. then he says Laws have to determine what's legal, but you can't ban technology. Sure, that might lead to a dystopian future or something, but you can't ban it. You seem, tell me what's alarming you. I'm sure you've heard this before it's from some just, tech pros. Come on. Well, this, well this, this is a part of like what <laughs> I guess makes me so interested about technology and the implication on like society is sure. because our laws are not set up right to regulate in right. any way shape or form right from a privacy perspective from any perspective mm-hmm. and so even when you look at in terms of who's running you know for office mm-hmm. it's like you know say what you may about mm-hmm. AOC I know she's very polarizing mm-hmm. but she understands technology and mm-hmm. she understands the implications that it has she's the one who's been bringing up the issue around facial mm-hmm. facial recognition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no one else has and so there is also a need for lawmakers mm-hmm. to be like have a very deep understanding of like what the next 30 plus years are going to look like with technology. And that's sure. just like, well, and nobody can predict that even the folks who are expert in it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, um, Mark and Facebook couldn't have predicted like, yeah. you know, the pushback now, now there, now it was definitely brought up. We can see that like in the oral history, mm-hmm. et cetera, some of those concerns, but it's happening in real time. Right. And yeah. the forces of change sometimes like are moving faster than the pushback against them. When people mm-hmm. are like, wait, hold up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't want my whole family like, you know, searchable yeah. and findable everywhere because you know, even though we're kind of in this age of everyone's a celebrity, everybody doesn't want to be, and they should have the right to yes, not be. Yes, right. Yes, and I've I've even become more increasingly more private on social media, and a lot of it is because, and like this is also fascinating that mm. like I'm lucky enough to even have this conversation mm-hmm. with you because, like you just said, in the age where just about everybody is a celebrity, 
we're documenting basically the story of our lives. Exactly. From, from a storytelling perspective, sure. mm-hmm. we have no control really over Well, we it. do, but we're, we're also offering it for the most part right and so but again you know there's the responsibility of the implication you don't always know that when you start it's just a fun thing to do right right Right. um you know you can think about when facebook or path or whatever take your pick of social network that you were excited about when you were just kind of putting up your food or whatever you were interested in at the time and then you know maybe you got bored or maybe you got woke or whatever it is (laughs) right you know you slowed down on that like i mean i i don't have a face on facebook i you know, I'm very like, uh, you know, I'm out there, but I'm, I'm not. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Um, but, but I think that, you know, you bring up some points, which is what the constant conversation is, which mm. is what, you know, um, technologists, everyday people, legislators, um, citizens mm-hmm. who are concerned, right. Are having the conversation of is like, are we getting to a point and is this only going to lead to a point which, you know, many people much smarter than me have already, you know, talked about ad nauseum of privacy then being only for those who can afford it. Mm. Right. Because essentially that is how Fang, you know, Facebook, yeah. Amazon, um, et cetera, all of these companies that are really making this money off our data, which, you know, it could be argued, right. This is always what's been, it's just in a new, um, platform it's just in a new way mm-hmm. um but when we don't then google might know more about me <laughs> than right. i know about me right? right in the sense of like what they can amass from all of those free services but i think that that's the part of the conversation and if you look at the history of the new technologies i mean there's definitely a thread of it's always been stopped by like the pushback of um people when it got like really scary right so it's never been by the businesses that started it because obviously their motivation is going to be different from those who are concerned about those things that we're talking about yeah and so doesn't mean they don't care but they care maybe more about their bottom line for sure understandably um and and for folks that are listening so Mm -hmm. the acronym fang um, is often used in technology. It stands for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Right. Just so that you know. So basically all the top tech right. companies. So when right. you hear somebody say Fang, that's what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay, so <laughs> so to your, to, okay, so yes, it's never corrected. It's never self-corrected mm. really by the companies. I should say rarely. I don't know if I can say never. Yeah, but rare, I, I it's rarely. rarely. Right. Um, but even when you have folks like, I think I was watching something on youtube last night um or maybe that was earlier today anyway um elon musk Mm -hmm. does not have uh, a facebook he's Mm -hmm. like no it's stupid and Mm -hmm. then when someone kind of tried to check him on twitter about it they were like well spacex and tesla has they have uh facebook accounts and he's like i wasn't aware of that and basically deleted the account Mm -hmm. and so um I'm definitely an Elon stand number one. So <laughs> just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. Okay. So <laughs> I'm definitely an Elon okay. stand. Uh-huh. But so you know, a lot of what he says about, even though they're they they are a part of kind of the AI movement with Tesla sure. and everything. Tesla's a it's a computer. It's a car. That's right. a computer. Mm-hmm. But um, he's very, I guess, woke, aware, um, and mindful about the implications of AI. Mm -hmm. And then also for him to say that, like, he doesn't have a Facebook, or then even being in Silicon Valley, like, a lot of the top 
tech executives or founders, they are not actually heavily entrenched mm-hmm. in social media and mm-hmm. a lot of these services like mm-hmm. everyday people are. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of makes you think like it's like, okay, do they know? Is it really like a time thing? Like do you just don't want to invest your time or do you really know mm-hmm. like what the true implications might be? Mm-hmm. 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 You know, what do you think are the smart questions people should be asking about their social media usage? Because, I mean, obviously, as artificial intelligence, you know, gets smarter and um, there are kind of unknown consequences that come from that. And, yeah. and just the data, you know, you're you're obviously in the in the data business that they share. What are the pe- the questions that people should be asking to be, you know, more kind of aware of that? Well, first of all, I think I personally feel like everybody should get their data. Right. Um, Number one, the problem is a lot of these companies make it extremely hard Mm -hmm. to do that. Now, by law, they're providing you with your data now. But even then, like it took me 23 days to get my Amazon data. Mm -hmm. And then what did you do with it? Nothing. Okay. Well, actually, I so we, you don't we, like we, convert we, it to a file and analyze it. Or... Dang, I, I want to say what we're working on, but I can't. But okay. you're like you're getting okay. there. We'll talk about it offline. Okay. But yes, but no, I don't mm-hmm. do anything with it right okay, now. Okay, personally for yourself. Okay. No, because mm-hmm. really the whole thing, and that's 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 also kind of why I wanted to start the gray area. Just you know, it, there's not enough space mm-hmm. in my Instagram comments to really talk about you know data and really the kind of whole ecosystem that Mm -hmm. I feel that is is going to develop around Mm -hmm. it but right now Mm -hmm. there's nothing really that you can do with it Mm -hmm. in the EU they obviously have places where you can sell your data Mm -hmm. and stuff I imagine that that is going to streamalytics in the U.S. yeah exactly (laughs) so we'll have we'll have stuff that people can upload their data to but what's fascinating about this is even once you get your data files Mm -hmm. It's not, it's still not transferable to be useful. Well, see, what's interesting to me about like when we talk about data and big data and, you know, obviously it means different things to different people and and depending on the context. But what's interesting to me kind of connected with this idea of every tech entrepreneur theoretically um, um, wants to change the world Mm -hmm. is I feel like what if we change the conversation from, you know, the big data of how we can like sell more to like the data of our own personal decisions and how Mm. we can like change ourselves and be accountable to our values right and how we can think more smartly and um you know and and maybe that's too she she frou frou our (laughs) woo woo for folks because i think that there's a spiritual and healing element particularly when you talk about um you know communities that have been marginalized um and you think about those implications of all of the things that are being created to actually um impact those who you know i know specifically with the black community are often you know the um you know the earliest adapters and and um proportionally to their size and um you know some of the highest users Mm -hmm. um I mean, I think that there's an opportunity when you maybe get that personal data to see, like, what do you learn about yourself beyond it just being a play of, like, what you can sell? Well, yes. (laughs) To, like, how does this, like, what have I learned and, you know, and how I'm contributing to the world? I think that that's a very different orientation than just, like, what are we using this for and how we can, like you know sell it can we make money for it yeah right and i mean i think that that's the conscious part of the capitalism which is you know the place we live in and you know that is just seeped in what we're all in sure but um it's interesting i think that there is 
you know, to your point, um, you get the data and then what, right? Right. And so that's part of the frustration, I think, for those who are really kind of becoming aware of how much they've shared and they can't really get it back or undo it or just push the delete button. Right. Because there's a process and it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's not made easy, as you you mentioned, Um, is just kind of being more conscientious about um, what can how can that be useful in learning about ourselves and, mm-hmm. and our place in the world and how it can be additive yeah um <laughs> it's funny so i was thinking i don't know i just be thinking about crazy stuff on my hike and you'll notice that when we go on, <laughs> when we go on our hike but one day i was on a hike and um i was like wow like everything is really like a data point mm-hmm. like when i'm walking from point a to point b mm-hmm. my brain is registering that mm-hmm as um a data point and then after i had that thought later i was working and i was looking at some data sets they were they were my own data sets and i had pulled like all my data from google and i was looking at my location data Mm -hmm. that google had on me and the level of information that they have obviously the longitude and latitude but um they know if you are tilting like some of this stuff is obvious because interesting because Mm -hmm. of you know what's in your phone Mm -hmm. whether it's a gyroscope or accelerometer they know if you're accelerating or turning or whatever but they had if you were driving if you were on a bicycle if you were on a four-wheeler if you were on a two-wheeler and so the detail that's in there is i also think if you're not if you're not downloading your data and actually like looking at it you Mm -hmm. you just you're like yeah they have my data or whatever but it's really to a very fine detail sure and um what is happening to me it's like just like our brains are registering when I'm on a hike I'm going from point A to point B Mm -hmm. that is also what our phones are doing Mm -hmm. it's also what Mm -hmm. what all these data files that we're generating mm-hmm. are doing and like yeah maybe some people want to delete it maybe some people might want to sell it mm-hmm. but um however you decide that you want to use it it's mm-hmm. powerful mm-hmm. information and even to take it you know a step further you mentioned something about um I forget the point that you made, but it made me think about DNA mm-hmm. and how when you go through trauma, yes. it literally affects your mm-hmm. DNA. It's stored in the bay. Yes. Know, in the body. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even when you're thinking about data or I gave my I gave my genetic data to 23andMe. That's a, right. whole, that's a whole other thing. So when you just think about the scope Thanks, of... we're going to make a new pill from that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, well, it, I mean, okay, so that's a perfect example, right? Yeah. So with the DNA. So, I was telling you about the documentary I worked on African American lives and mm-hmm. one of the things I was struck by it, and that technology and the database mm-hmm. base of what's available and how you find it is much larger than it was then mm-hmm. we were kind of the first to do it um, in America uh, this TV show there there had been a similar one in the, um, Europe and Canada I believe but what was interesting to me about working with you know the both the scientists on the DNA side and you know the companies that were doing the samples for us with the basically let me just give you a quick premise of the show Mm -hmm. it was working with like celebrities um you know from oprah to you know henry louis gates who Mm -hmm. was the host um chris tucker etc right so you know basically these people you know and looking at genealogy and specifically as it relates to black people those who come from an enslaved um ancestry Mm -hmm. 
can only go so far. So mm-hmm. DNA was this bridge, right, mm-hmm. to find out where you were really from, right. quote unquote. Um, and so what was always fascinating to me about genealogy is that you could live in the past and still not, or in, in about DNA, is that you can, you were only as good as your sample, Right. Mm. And so you can say that so and so is from the Ivory Coast, but if your sample doesn't have like the samples of everybody, I always was like, how accurate can this really right. be? Right. And I think, you know, you can make that same, um, you know, kind of point with data. So, yes. yes, it is powerful. And yes, it is very, it can feel very intrusive, but it is, it is parts of a whole. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think for me, um, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean that there shouldn't be concerns. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be these conversations or questions. Well, you just need to be aware. But I think you yeah. have to be aware, but you also have to kind of put it in the context of the larger picture. Mm. Um, and I think what concerned maybe you when you, you know, first saw this story and this article about the, you know, about the company, about Clearview AI is we don't want to not have enough information before we're condemning people, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're only seeing a small part of the picture with some of our data or yeah. some of our DNA, right? Yeah. And so, so I think that that, like for me, it always helps to kind of add context and, you know, history yeah. um, and like a larger picture, just really kind of get to the nitty gritty of like, what is what we're concerned about and how can we like deal with this mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, a, a level-headed way with compassion and also with, um, you know, just some kind of scope of how to think about this and ways to actually move the conversation forward or deal with it as it right. needs to be dealt with accurately. Yeah. Um, I was actually talking to one of my engineers about this because we were looking at a lot of what they're doing with DNA data sets and mm-hmm. um, what came up is there's actually a unified format. Mm-hmm for DNA. So when you download your your DNA file, right. you can upload it to right. someplace else, but you get completely you can get completely different exactly. results, which is like, you know, so the you're same po- with data. Yeah, like the Google same with data. versus Netflix versus Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to your point around And there's no standardization yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. Right. Yes. Right. So, um okay, where are we at on time? 34 minutes. Okay. All right. So um, let's just, I'm pulling one other thing up from this article just to close this all out um, in respect to the Clearview conversation. But hopefully you guys, we, this was so good. Alicia. I'm so glad. And you talk fast this like is, me. You and know this why? was like good. It was the first woman on the show. That's why. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not the last. Not the last. And so, yes, only the third episode. I was like, oh, I got to get some women <laughs> on here. And so this was fantastic. Great. Um, so you guys can um, keep up with what is going on with Clearview. Actually, Senator Edward Markey actually sent a note Mm -hmm. to Clearview um, based on, you know, some of their actions. He had a list Mm -hmm. of 14 questions for the CEO of Clearview Mm -hmm. that needed to be addressed by Wednesday, February 12th, which is today. Okay. So um, that should be interesting. So you guys can stay tuned to that. Mm -hmm. Um, What else? We'll we'll have another episode on on, um, the gray area. I want to talk about the DNA stuff. Yes. I'm going to do a whole 
episode on that. That's going to be interesting. Um, but Alicia, tell people if you, I know sure. you're not on social media like that, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> tell I, people where I they tell can you, you, if you want to reach me on social media, <laughs> please reference this podcast and reach yeah. out to me on LinkedIn. Um, but if you want to stay connected, I do have a newsletter where okay, I'll talk directly yes. to you. Um, it's been revamped to be called Marginalized Genius on MailChimp and you can sign up I love and it. Uh, hear more about my thoughts on the disruption of storytelling, being a storyteller. Yes. And send me the link. I will include the link for Marginalized Genius. Okay, great. And the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys can easily subscribe to that, which if you want to see and hear, I guess, more musings, this was a brilliant conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe. And that's it for this episode of The Gray Area. Thank you, Angela. Thank you.